My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel, a Make Ours Marvel mailbag. This is the fifth time that we have kicked off our shoes and leaned back against the fire or, or, or near the vicinity of the fire. I don't have any fire. Um, to read your emails and your heartfelt missives about the show. And we have, um, we have quite the stack to get through. Yeah, we haven't been doing it as frequently as we said we were going to do it. But, and it's uh, not for lack of wanting. Right. I think we've been trying to get one of these together since spring break. Comics come first because those have to come out weekly. And then it seems like the movies, either because we arranged a guess or because we want to be timely with some movie release, those always end up taking front and center. And we had we had a number of times where either he, either Mike or I was not able to make a recording. So then you that definitely had to focus on comics the next time mm-hmm. um, to keep the lead time. So for whatever reason, we have wanted to do one of these for a while, but just kept not being able to do it. But uh, feedback is still very important to us, and we will continue to do these on a regular basis. Yes. Um, Such as right now. Which is right now. I remember the last time we did one of these, we almost read John Morrissey's email called Reactions to Episode 38. And then we realized we had another one that was timestamped earlier. Mm -hmm. So I feel like John's been waiting for a very long time for this email to be read. Yes. Should I read it? Go ahead. All right. Oh, boy. Happy New Year. Happy (laughs) New Year, fellas. So let you know how far back this is. January 1st. Um. Thanks for another terrific episode. You are rapidly cascading toward episode 50. Ha ha ha. Joke's on you, John. Got anything special planned for that anniversary in true Silver Age fashion? I didn't think Silver Age really did anniversary issues. Um, well, we sure didn't. We did not. Here are two or three thoughts about this episode. First, in an effort to get you to accept the Torch backup story in Amazing Spider-Man 8, Spidey and Johnny did not inexplicably find themselves fighting in the desert. They were at the beach. The shoreline and water can be seen on page three, panel seven, when they first arrive. <gasps> oh. That makes it a little better, yeah. Yeah. Okay. New York City and Long Island are, of course, surrounded by the ocean, so getting to the shoreline from Dory's house is no big deal. That makes so much sense. It really does. I've been thinking they were in the desert since I was six years old. <laughs> it's the artist's <laughs> fault, not ours. Right. Second, I think I disagree with your suggestion that important aspects of other characters should happen in their own comics, not a one-off comment when they guest star elsewhere. In Tales of Suspense 49, Iron Man vs. the Dark Angel, (laughs) you suggest that it's not appropriate to feature Hanks and Janet's first date here instead of in their own book. Although I can easily see your point, I think this makes the tapestry of the overall Marvel Universe even richer. This practice, being accidental or by design, caused readers to have to buy the entire Marvel line of books if they wanted to be fully cognizant of any character's complete story and history. I like the idea that a juicy tidbit about, say, Peter Parker might pop up in any Marvel mag. Yeah, I can see that, I guess. Um, Thoughts on that? Just not Iron Man versus Dark Angel, maybe. Yeah, because <laughs> that particular story wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And also, we just haven't seen them date in their own books since either. So it was like this weird alternate reality. Yeah, although they are getting very, very lovey-dovey on each they other. Are. Like They are. Finally, along these lines and Tales of Suspense 49, when the X-Men are trying to call the Avengers for assistance, Thor doesn't respond because he's making his rounds as Dr. Donald Blake at Municipal Hospital. Is this where he works in Journey into Mystery? 
I don't recall if his hospital has been named in Journey into Mystery. Do either of you remember? Thanks again for the episode. And until Aunt May picks up Mjolnir, make ours Marvel. I always thought he worked privately, but then also dabbled in surgeries and stuff at hospitals because private uh, doctor's offices don't have surgical areas. Yeah, I think a surgeon will have both. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife has had surgery and we had to go to doctor's offices that may or may not be adjacent to the hospital for convenience, but then also the doctor sees you in the hospital. Right. That's what happened. That's with me growing up too. I had a private doctor as a child. And then when I broke my arm, I'm in the hospital and there he was. So, you know, they just do both, I guess. I guess so. But thank you for that email, John. Uh, You want to read Tim's? Do you have Tim Price teenagers? Uh, As the next email? Yeah. I do not. I have a Bobby. Oh, no, I have a Demmer Webb. So go ahead, I guess. Okay. Is the Demmer Webb the great historical rabbit trails? Yes. Okay, I do have another one before that. So, Tim Price, teenagers, I salute your commitment to reading all of these issues, even the dot, 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 lesser efforts. I know more about the living brain from his recent deliberately ridiculous appearances, and I can try to take this issue as Silver Age wackiness, but it just doesn't work. Oh, and Peter Flash selling it in the ring? Really? The football player versus the science student? As far as the school knows, Peter is a skinny, non-athletic nerd. How could this be anything other than school-approved violence on weaker kids? It's a fine trope in other settings where it's less of a mismatch, but here, yikes. Yeah, I don't I don't remember if we... I know we talked about how it's just a horrible school policy. Yeah, and how like, maybe fighting in the ring might have been a thing at one point in time, but yeah, the, the mismatch. The mismatch, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's horrible. I recall specifically that Sue turned the whole team... Invisible in the Atlantis Attacks Fantastic Four Annual, and vaguely recall a couple of other instances that was still a long time after this issue, and that limitation on turning things visible or invisible didn't last when I was collecting in the 200s. So I'm again going to call that Silver Age wackiness. I think he's talking about the whole, if she makes herself invisible, nothing else can be invisible, and if she makes something else invisible, she can't be invisible. Yes. They always seem to put these limits on powers initially and then throw them out the window. Right, right. Like Johnny running out of energy. I haven't heard that lie in a while. It has been a while since Johnny has just run out of flame. Yeah. Hit on the back of the head, evil. Radiation zapping a mutant, evil. Superhero saves your life but causes your hair to fall out, evil. Makes sense to me. Hey, wait, is my TV remote dead? Oh, never mind. One of the batteries was loose. All good. Till next time. (laughs) <laughs> all right there Tim. all right um okay so now we have dimmer web okay hey guy. oh this was on uh january 4th hey guys i'm really enjoying the podcast as a subscriber to marvel digital unlimited i'm reading through the early comics and you guys are a great supplement to my reading i'm still many shows behind me but the advantage to that is a new one is always ready for me to listen to when i'm done with the prior episode i like when that happens too yeah i love that experience and then you catch up and it's sad. Um, right. I appreciate the analysis and reviews of all the comics. One of the things I enjoy is when you give little tidbits of what is what is happening in the world when a comic is released. For example, when you covered the Iron Man Cleopatra story, I had no idea that was around the time the movie was going to be released. That helps me make sense of why Marvel would do a story like that. And your covering helps me to get a better flavor for the times. Um, I like when we figure stuff like that out, too. I don't think we do it very often, but... 
sometimes you read a story and it's just like, oh, this sounds very Wizard of Oz. Something's going on here. Um, anyway, he continues. I also yeah, it's like just that when the rabbit hole gets inspired, you know, yeah. you go down it. I also liked your brief exploration into the actual Cleopatra and what was going on in real life around that time. Finally, a while back, I had written you guys and shared a suggestion in regards to you being more mindful of the language on your show as I sometimes listen with my children. I don't know if it was intentional, but it does seem I'm running into less objectionable stuff, so I appreciate that, guys. You both are entertaining enough where you can ditch the bad language or even sexual type jokes and still be interesting and engaging. Well, I don't know if it's intentional for John, but it's in my head all the time now. You've totally scarred me, uh, right, Mr. Webb. So anyway, I think it is intentional, kind of. Uh, anyway, just wanted to express my appreciation for what you guys are doing. Thanks for keeping me company while I'm commuting or doing housework, etc. You are very welcome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't promise to do historical connections with everything, but like if I'm reading a story and I think of something, I'm, I'm probably going to look it up. And then if it's interesting, I'll, I'll add it to the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. If Nixon shows up, we're going to look into it. Yes. What was Nixon doing at this time? <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't shown up, so I didn't look it up. I was going to jump over, just because I'm OCD like this. Our next feedback was from Al Sedano on the website from January 5th. Okay. So I was going to go read that, if that's okay. Yep. Al left a comment on episode 26 entitled Duplicating Hammers, Thors, and Fantastic Fours. And he says, hey guys, sorry I've apparently been slacking on leaving comments, but no more. Let's go. Sorry, Al, we've apparently been slacking on reading comments, but no more. Let's go. Journey into Mystery 95. You guys need to do a bit more research on the time periods these books came out and earlier. You see, up until the early 70s, they didn't even have different branches of scientific study. If you went to college for science, you went for all the science. Medical science, electric science, biology science, robotic science, mad science, all of it. That really makes a lot of sense. I think Al's pulling our leg. I do too, but it still makes a lot of sense. It does. In the Marvel Universe. They all just went to science college. Right. That's why they're such well-rounded scientists. (laughs) They all are very well-rounded scientists, yeah. I think my favorite version of the villain's name that Mike came up with was Xanadu. Mostly because after that, I kept on picturing Olivia Newton-John playing the character. That might be a way to somewhat enjoy the story, Mike. He's not wrong. That's, <laughs> that's all I remember about Xanadu, too. <laughs> Duplicating cats? Damn, Bob Barker would really hate this guy. <laughs> Make sure to keep all of your pets spayed and neutered. Yeah. Control the pet population. Stop duplicating your animals. Uh, now the bad original of Xanadu died because he learned of Thor's identity, but the duplicate would know, right? God, I don't even know. I remember, I somewhat remember that. It just all seems so silly. Yeah, now now I want to know if Xandu ever comes back. <laughs> yeah, is he just walking around knowing everything about Thor? Not that right. it matters. Thor doesn't have that identity anymore, but still. No, no, it doesn't. Um, Tales to Astonish 47, pipes were handed out with your diploma when you graduated from science school. Though, So that's where Hank and Reed all got their, their pipes. Oh, yeah, of course. Ah, the 1960s, when jazz clubs were so popular that the owners had the power to deport people. It was a weird time in American history. (laughs) I don't think jazz clubs were ever that popular, but I could be wrong. (laughs) Uh, And Fantastic Four 18, well, the Super Skull does have a flag, so he now owns the Earth. That's the rules. Yep. All you gotta do is plan it. That's what we did on the moon, right? Yeah. Planned it for America. And he says, P.S. I also vote to have Sarah Sentry on again. Well, we have done so. Wish granted like three times now. 
Four times? Yeah. yeah, at least. All right. So thank you for commenting, Al. Um, do you have an email from Tim about called Thunderstruck? Thunderstruck. Yeah, sounds like an ACDC song. January 6th. This is why I enjoy your show, learning about the history of characters in the Marvel Universe. I had no idea Baron Strucker first appeared in Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. The first time Dugan is called Walrus. That's really excellent. Well, it is, except I still am suspiciously of the belief that he was not Baron Strucker, and they just made him Baron Strucker anyway. But No, no, that was the Zemo. Oh, Zemo. Baron Strucker is definitely Baron Strucker. Yes. I'm thinking of something else. I'm mixing up my... Fake cat villains. Um, I understand Michael thinking of Strucker as a cat villain. See, I just said that. It's been a long time since Fury had a regular series. And more recently, there have been World War II flashback stories starring Cap teaming up with the Howlers. And they face Strucker together. So that could explain it pretty naturally. That and I probably never read Fury growing up. And even in like Avengers 2, it's Cap versus Strucker. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think of him as a villain. I don't know about you, but I didn't even know that Sergeant Fury was a comic growing up. I don't think I did either until much later when, like, you know, Storenko got reappreciated and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, quote unquote, magic stops anyone from taking Thor's hammer. Ridiculous question alert. Does that mean Thor can keep Mjolnir by holding it with his thumb and one finger? I think that's in reference to we were wondering if Thor, like Hulk was trying to pull the hammer out of Thor's hand and he couldn't. And we were wondering if that's uh, magic or if that's because Thor was so much stronger back then or something or the Hulk weaker or whatever. I think we've seen somebody rest it from Thor since then. I know it's so inconsistent. Um, yeah. Interesting suggestion that the Avengers need something to pull them together, like a reason to assemble into more than a team. I wonder, well, while I think about it, I'll try to recall other stories where Baron Strucker fights Captain America. A completely unrela- unrelated situation. Yeah, that's just my own personal bias. But man, that team did not pull together until number four. Mm-hmm. Maybe it still hasn't yet, but it will. Okay. And lastly, he writes, until the Hulk's cousin join joins the Avengers, make mine, make ours Marvel. I love the Hulk's cousin. And I love when she's on the Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Yes. I have not read nearly enough of the She-Hulk comics, and I need to read more. Yep. <clears throat> okay, Tim Price, Spider-Verses. Okay. Cutting to the chase, I loved Into the Spider-Verse. It was such a beautiful movie, great characters, excellent story, insane frenetic action. I might not get to watch it again until it reaches streaming, but I will rewatch when I can. What's fun for me is my daughters, ages 13 and 13, yes, that's right, wanted to see it too. They're just starting to get into Marvel's movies, but they inherited my love of animation, so we've watched lots of those movies. This one gave us both, so a no-brainer. No surprise, their favorite characters were Gwen and Anime Penny, but the humor was perfect for all ages and we had a blast together. My personal way to address the main version of Peter Parker is simply Amazing Spider-Man or Amazing Peter as the most used title of his comic. So the blonde one can be called Ultimate Peter slash Spidey pretty fairly. Just my little trick. Never claim to be a creative sort. Thanks for helping me make uh, relive this movie. Well done. I like Hobo Spider-Man better. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I like that he has twin daughters who love the movie. Mm-hmm. I hope they're twins. Uh, either that or they're like <laughs> on two opposite ends of the 13 spectrum. <laughs> like just turned 13 and about to be 14. And that was a really busy time at one point in their lives. Two girlfriends, two wives. Who knows? Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, high five. Men can do that. Um, okay. So 
We're going to move along. Do you have Chris Reese Spider-Verse episode? I do. Okay. I was led to this podcast from all the pouches. Hey, I think that's a first. That's cool. I never heard that before. Great. Almost all cut up. Great work. Very enjoyable. Keep it up. I want to know how he was led to all the pouches without knowing about Make Ours Marvel. Interesting. Backwards. Okay. On the Spider-Verse episode, I love Donovan. Hearing him pop up here was like having Wolverine pop up in my Spider-Man comic. I have no idea. Okay. That's one thought. We like Donovan too. Have we had him on twice, haven't we? Yeah. For the uh, 2002 Spider-Man and for Spider-Verse. I guess he's our Spider-Guy. We'll have to do more Spider-Man soon. Um I had no idea Brian Michael Bendis was inspired by the Donald Glover for Spider-Man movement to create Miles Morales. That's awesome. The 616 Spider-Man has had so many writers with different takes on the character. The janky hobo Spider-Man from the movie just felt like brand new day Spider-Man who was kind of a creeper loser. I'm not familiar with that, so I don't know if that's true or not. Um, yeah, they really emphasize the hard luck hero idea in the brand new day. Okay. After losing his wife, they were trying to bring back some classic elements. Mm. Um, and I think they overdid it on some of them, but, but the idea that Peter just had like a, a lot of, you know, bad run-ins with luck just kind of made him feel like not much of a, not much of a guy to root for. For a while anyway. John, if I heard you right, you think the Holland Spider-Man is really great, but Garfield is still your favorite, not the cat. I completely agree. So disappointed there was never a third Garfield movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have this like slowly growing list of really sad missed opportunities in superhero storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, no third Garfield Spider-Man film. No, uh, I think, season three of Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Um the the Justice League film that we got was not the Justice League film we were supposed to get, and that kind of the DCEU has never recovered from all of that. So yeah. There there's yeah. there's stuff. On episode thirty eight, Michael, your idea for an Obi-Wan Kenobi young Anakin training scene where Obi-Wan keeps beating Anakin by taking the high ground. Freaking brilliant. Thank you. I agree. Sadly it wouldn't have saved the movie from the god awful writing though. Probably not. But it was a start. <laughs> um thanks again for this great podcast. Great, blah, great podcast. Looking forward to future episodes. Well, thank you for that email, Chris. Yeah. Um, we have Make Ours Marvel episode 40, Professor X is the Worst. With you so Tim far. Price. Yes. Whew. Plenty of examples. Oh, this is from January 15th. So we've got halfway through a month. Plenty of examples of Professor X being the worst in this issue. But that panel takes the cake. I think he's talking about issue three where he's thinking about Gene. Mm. I, I had seen a flashback to where hey, 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 later in 1996's X-Men 53, when Onslaught reveals Xavier's thoughts from that panel directly to Gene. So this is the issue where that happened, huh? Um, ew. He's known her since she was a child. Now I feel all dirty. I guess it's similar to like Reed Richards knowing Susan since she was a child, huh? Yeah, I think I felt similarly like you and I were both desperately trying to make the numbers work somehow. But I also don't know the entire history of Gene or whether if we even came up with a solution, whether it would work. Because if uh, Tim here is right and he's known her since she was a child, that's still kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were saying something like we're we always think of Professor X as a 60 year old. And in these books, he's probably more like a 30 year old. But still, yeah, it's weird. He, he, I mean, conceivably even less than that, but yeah, it's still weird. 
Um, the only redeeming quality of it is that he never actually spoke any of this out loud. Yes. Can't um, help regard- your thoughts, guys. Sometimes you can't help your thoughts, but what we do with those thoughts is way more important. Mm-hmm. On the opposite side, Bobby making ice cream in his own hands is now my favorite thing. Hey, they're his hands. If I had ice powers, <laughs> heck yeah, I'd be making ice cream all the time. That's how you homo superior. <laughs> but it was just ice. It was just, yeah, he can't make ice he, cream. All he can do is make frost. Yeah, he doesn't produce milk. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's not go down that road. All right. They don't function, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Strange Shells 117, meh. I don't even know what issue that was, but I'm going to agree with you. It's probably meh. Good on you calling out Hank for how he treated Jan in that story. I don't recall her crying wolf and other issues, so him jumping to that conclusion is ridiculous. The 60s did have their problems with treating women, especially as written by men. Sigh. Which was the only way they were being written at this point. At this point, indeed. Indeed. I think our first female writer is going to be Marie Severin on the Hulk down the road. wow. Yeah. Uh, Once I thought about that story, which probably shows I'm slow on the uptake, the usual tale would be heroic knight fights evil giant. Here we have the opposite roles in the battle. I never considered that before, but it's a neat reversal. I hadn't either. Is this the last? This was the story, the last story basically where Jan was awesome? Where they go on, va- go on vacation to Greece and fight that giant Cyclops robot thing? No, I think this is the Black Knight. Oh. Oh, she's not awesome. Then. I think she was very awesome in that story. But he's saying how, like, you know, usually have the, the knight goes out in shining armor to fight the evil oh, evil giant. Oh, yes. And this is an evil knight fighting a heroic giant. It's kind of a switch. Yeah. That's a good point. We didn't think of that. And I love John's idea of Black Knight flying up to poke Giant Man in the eye saying, yeah, yeah. Black Knight <laughs> is such a scamp. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Thanks, guys. Till next night time. My son's computer is talking. We're just going to ignore it. Okay. He's not in the room and it's too far away for me to fix. Does it say, hello, Dave? There's some sort of video playing. What it are should you... be like, it's closed. The laptop is closed. What are you doing, Dave? Yeah. I'll text him and see if he can come fix it. We can keep on going, though. Yeah. So I have, I don't know if you do, but I have Bobby Bermia episode 36. Yes. Okay. This was also January 17th now. I'm actually surprised you guys are doubling, doubting whether or not they got all the positive fan mail. I think that that fan mail was part and parcel of much of Stan's hucksterism. After all, they've been making comics for years, but according to Stan, they never got any fan mail before. I know a lot of what he says can be questionable, but I firmly believe that receiving fan mail, the likes of which they hadn't received before, was as much an engine for the rise of Marvel as sales. Stan Lee was so excited by this feedback, by this revelation that there were real people out there who actually gave a damn about what he was doing. Let's not forget, he'd been toiling away since 1939 was now a middle aged man, that he was actually living the comic book version of you like me, you really, really like me. He was so so excited by this new attention that, oh my gosh, your superhero comic that everyone is all of a sudden writing in about just must be the world's greatest comic magazine. I think the excitement, this really genuine gratitude for the audience revitalizing what had previously been a rather humdrum career directly led to the dis- Distinctive manner of connecting to the audience, the great new breed of comic reader, etc. In this, the Marvel age of comics. That's all Stan going, you love me, which unfortunately led to him taking even more credit than he deserved. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. And I like the the sort of story that's being woven there. If worth it for the fact that there are definitely letters that were faked. 
I think what we're I I to, I totally believe that they're really letters, and I also absolutely credit Stan for like cultivating a culture or a society around these books and making comics like cool and like an ambassador of comics and stuff um, in a way that hadn't been done before. But I was, I think I was talking more like anytime you saw because you demanded it kind of things. I always mm-hmm. wonder, did anybody really demand the return of, you know, so-and-so? The magician. I'm just a cynic, I guess. Sometimes I wonder if he was just making that up because he was also prone to hyperbole. Yeah, prone to hyperbole. And also there are times where it's like, you've made this comic the most popular thing on the stands whenever it's only been a month since the last issue came out and there's no way like you produced this comic before the first one came out. There's no way you could know, but I would like to think that yes, Stanley is actually getting some feedback and some success and feeling really great about it because as podcasters, we love that feeling too. Yeah. So he goes on to say, having said that, I'm also pretty firm in my belief that Stan had more of a hand in the creation of early Marvel than he is sometimes nowadays given credit for. You don't think he had some involvement in the generating of names and phrases like the Dread Dormammu or the Hoary Host of Hogoth or the Crimson Bands of Satorak? There is little doubt that Doctor Strange is primarily Ditko's baby, sure, but I'm just wondering. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's scripting it, so he's probably coming – he said that he would just like make up names that sounded really cool at the time. They do sound very Stan-like. Um, could the relative respect Spider-Man's getting in Strange Tales number 115 be indicative of the impact he had on Marvel? His sales and response was just that unheard of for them. Within seven issues, he became a star who could bump up sales in other books. Maybe even in Inside the Universe terms, maybe this new Spider-Man hero had quickly generated a tremendous reputation on the streets as a superhero. Maybe this rep grew faster because he was fighting street-level bad guys who everyday people had to deal with and had heard about, whereas, say, the FF is dealing with cosmic-level baddies who normal people don't even realize they're being threatened by. Nobody knew about the Scrolls, for instance, or the Red Ghost, and Reed, unbeknownst to himself, is just responding to the zeitgeist in the air. He hears about how great a superhero Spider-Man is, but he knows Johnny is just his girlfriend's kid brother who can be a real brat sometimes. Just a thought. That's an interesting way to look at it. That's a way to look at it, yeah. It still doesn't really let um, Reed off the hook in terms of his respect for a fellow teammate, but... Right. Um, love the discussion about Doctor Strange's face because I've always wondered about this. In Origins of Marvel Comics, Doctor Strange, uh, Doctor Strange's first appearance and his origin story are placed side by side, and the difference is striking. Thank you, oh gentlemen. My gosh. I'm really, really enjoying the podcast. You guys have reached a perfect pitch of taking the books as seriously as they can be taken, recognizing the great art, and acknowledging the often clumsy or even primitive storytelling. Fantastic work. Quote, or uh, parenthesis, C, does that make you want to declare this the world's greatest comic podcast for you, the great new breed of podcast listener? Yes. You know what? We should steal that idea. That's pretty good. We should totally put the world's greatest comic podcast on our stuff. We should. I wonder if the uh, the Fantastic Four people do that already, though. Anyway. <laughs> P.S. John, you briefly mentioned a classics podcast you once did. What is that? I'm catching up too fast. So back in 2010, um, I and a couple other guys started up a show called Amazing Spider-Man Classics. And it was similar to this, only it was going through every uh, Spider-Man comic uh, guest appearance and cameo we could find. And um, it lasted for about a year and a half um, before it fell by the wayside. And 
the site is no longer viable, but I know people who have copies of the episodes. So I'm definitely planning on putting those up on johnreadscomics.com at some point, maybe even this summer if I can get to it. If I can make myself remember to do it. And then because I told myself I was going to do it this summer, but I haven't actually thought about it since summer started until you said something just now. So <laughs> I need to remember to do it. Note to self. Note to self. All right. Um, so then we have the Mandarin from Bobby Bramea. Mm-hmm. Is that what the next one you have? Yep. The Mandarin is problematic? I think it depends on execution, right? Did you ever watch Iron Man Armored Adventures? That featured the teenage Tony Stark and Jim Rhodes and Pepper Potts. It should have been terrible, but it was actually really good. Anyway, I thought that series handled the Mandarin really well and just made him seem cool. I have not seen that show. Uh, I don't know if you have. I ha- I watched the first season. I think some of the second season. I did enjoy it. Um... I can't remember exactly what they did with the Mandarin or if they even called him the Mandarin. I definitely agree that it totally depends upon your execution and the execution for the Mandarin has changed since we even started, mm-hmm. but the basic concept is really weird. He's, he's just like a yellow claw or a, you know, evil Fu Manchu or something like just the very concept comes with problems that you may not want to address. He's a mystical Chinese guy whose threat is because he's a mystical Chinese guy. Right. And that's, that's, that's weird. But at least Having, he's not a communist. Right. On the other hand, you have the radioactive man mm-hmm. who is from China. Yeah. And the fact that he's being sent by a communist government is part of his threat, but it's a minor aspect. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's from China is just part of his character. He is a threat because he is a walking radioactive you know, reaction. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just different concepts. I, if you can yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, obviously, the Mandarin gets some traction because he's considered more, you know, Iron Man's number one villain for a reason. So, right. just haven't got there yet, really. I mean, not that he's been bad; he's just been kind of repetitive. And but well, we've had two stories so far. It's two whole stories that were the exact yeah. same story. Um, he says, "Of course, I say all this, but I can't help but wonder if my perception is shaped by what I want to be true." I was a big fan of the Mandarin as a kid. I was surprised when I got older and he was considered problematic. I thought he was a bad guy on par with Doctor Who Magneto, just Asian. As opposed to, say, the Yellow Claw, who, if I'm real, I also didn't have a problem with as a kid. When I got older, I was definitely like, whoops. Yeah. Yeah, he gets out of that, at least. Yeah. He's not called, like, the Evil Oriental or something like that. So. Right. And, like, a character like the Yellow Claw, you could change to just the Claw. The Claw. If you wanted to erase, you know, right. Mm-hmm. And have him be a threat from, I don't know if he's from China or some other country in Eastern Asia. But, Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. They made it work, so they did something. Um, there's an email where he says, you might have seen this in the 61 to 86 Facebook group, but I don't see a body on that email. I have uh, Sean Urbanski next. Do you have that one? Yes. Actually, that's from March, isn't it? That's from January 22nd. It's called Thanks, Guys. Oh, yes, yes, it is. It's from January 22nd. Go ahead. This is a short one. So it started your podcast a month ago. I'm only on episode 13, but hope to catch up by spring. Just a quick thanks, fellas. I have enjoyed the first 13. Well, thank you. That's my favorite number. I hope he's still with us. I do, too. I guess we'll find out as we trudge along here. Right. Why don't you go and do the next one, too, because it's also kind of short, isn't it? John Morrissey, I'm such a slacker. 
Yes. January 26. We're almost through the first month. Wow. Hello, gentlemen. I cannot believe that I haven't made the time to comment on an episode during the last four weeks. Just because you don't hear from me doesn't mean that I'm not hanging on your every word. And just because, and just because you don't hear from us doesn't mean we aren't reading it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we definitely appreciate the emails. For example, episode 39 was your funniest episode to date. Both of you are so witty and wry and subtle. I listened to this episode over and over while commuting just for the laughs. Wow repeat episode that's cool um i don't even know which one that was and now you're already on episode 42 so what can i say about the episodes that i allowed to pass without comment okay here it is i have a question for you at this time marvel is still coloring the backgrounds of some word balloons a color other than white at some point they will decide that word balloons are white and caption boxes are yellow but for now there's no telling what color will be used for the backgrounds of words and thought balloons so here's my question what's your preference do you like word and thought balloons all to be white or do you prefer the multicolored balloons used in the issues that you've reviewed to date until Ant-Man marries Uncle Ben, make ours Marvel. And he spelled Ant, A-U-N-T. So until Ant-Man marries Uncle Ben, that works. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, you're the more artistically, aesthetically minded person. What do you think? Well, I assume they switched to white eventually because white is easier to read. Mm-hmm. I've noticed some of these like older comics, especially like the color maybe bleeds on the balloon. So it makes it more difficult. I'm trying to think like... I'm doing some quick scans right here to see like which ones he's even talking about. I kind of haven't noticed. It's been white for a while. They are mostly white, but then they'll just like randomly throw in like a pink word balloon or something. And it's kind of um, weird when they do it. I don't know. I grew up with white word balloons and yellow caption boxes until I stopped collecting comics. And when I got back to them in the 2000s. You no longer had caption boxes. You had narration boxes. And those could be, DC especially, those could be color-coded based on who was narrating. See, I'm down with that. I'm down with it as an artistic um, device. Mm-hmm. Like, if that helps you communicate, you know, the werewolf talking versus the man or the Hulk versus the Bruce Banner, that's cool. But right. just doing random pinks for no reason, I'm not really down with that. I think they should probably just be a uniform color. Right. Keep it consistent. Yeah. All right. Who's so- next? Oh, we got a comment, probably. We do have a comment. From Kyle. From Kyle. Uh, he commented on the very first episode. I just started listening to the podcast and came here solely to see how many people mentioned Scroll Kill Crew. <laughs> if you haven't by now, look it up. Trust me. Yes, we have looked at the Scroll Kill Crew. And uh, I, I knew about it. I just got my facts slightly off on it. Cool. Um, should I go ahead and read the next one? Yeah, what's the next one? Email from Tim41 yep. and 42. Yep. Ouch, way behind on writing to you guys, but I'm sure you don't mind the break. I'll keep it quick. Peter faking photos. So this is when that very questionable tactic began. Is it just me, or does it seem that superheroes with secret identities become chronic liars in fairly short order? From lying by omission all the way to outright dissembling, it's a troubling trend. I mean, I get it. You can't keep a secret without some degree of avoiding some truths, but my goodness, photo forgery? Yikes. Yeah, and that goes with the discussion I, of whether yeah. him him he should pro- not have gotten away with it in that first issue. And him profiting from his identity at all is morally good, but now especially if you fake the photos, right? I mean, I kind of dig that he makes money off of his Spider Man ness, or at least he can use it toward his making his money. Um, I feel like the uber moral legion of superheroes never use my powers for personal profit is a little bit far fetched. Yeah. He's just one of the few who does it. I can't think of 
a lot of others who do. Well, and Luke Cage gets like a whole oh. lot of flack. Yeah, and he does. He does, and no one ever gives Spider-Man flack. But mo- then again, most people don't know he's Peter Parker. But yeah, I wonder how many people actually know he takes pictures of his fights and sells them. Matt Murdock <laughs> would. Has he ever commented? Does he care? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't realize until you know relatively recently that Matt Murdock and Peter Parker know each other's identities, and even Johnny Storm and Peter know each other's identities. That's a really recent development. That's post-2000. No, Daredevil's known since the 80s, I thought. Okay. I wasn't sure about Daredevil. A friend of mine told me that it was relatively recent. I'm not sure about Johnny Storm. That could be recent, yeah. Yeah. Um, The Giant Man fan club. I can totally see fans dressing as villains to cosplay being defeated by their hero. Use your best slow-motion knockout faces for laughs with your buds. But some should have dressed as GM. I mean, come on. It doesn't want to see beer belly giant man or, or glasses wearing costume doesn't fit Ant-Man, right? Right? Bueller? I'm with you. That kind of made no sense to me either. <laughs> the episode featuring the X-Men movie was excellent. I don't have anything to add, but it was a fun listen. Thanks, guys. So until Hugh Jackman does more movies as Wolverine than Christopher Reeve did as Superman, make mine make ours Marvel. Um, They're catching on to the joke, Mike. He did way more, I think. I guess yeah. we'll find out. Like, he's got to be the most prolific actor superhero there is, right? I so think so. He has to be. Anyway, I have Bobby Bermia, episode 38, or is there something else? Yes. Okay. Loving the. Oh, this is. What's the date, guys? What's the date? <gasps> February. We're in February. Dun, 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 dun. February 2nd. Loving the podcast, like always. Truly, one of my very favorite things that you guys have identified that I never really thought about but makes so much sense is that Peter Parker, at least during the Ditko age, is really kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah. a, a fundamentally decent person, person, I mean, even more than that. He, like... Fights crime. That's a big deal, but not necessarily an easy guy to get along with. And maybe Flash doesn't like him because he's a snob. I wonder now, with Ditko having such a big influence on early Spider-Man, if we're seeing Ditko's pent-up high school rage. Like, was Ditko the big nevish in high school who got picked on because he was this incredible snob, snobby nerd who actually did think he was better, smarter than anyone, which, considering Ditko's politics, makes a lot of sense. I, I wouldn't be surprised. It. Yeah. Um, I don't think Flash is always justified, but I think it's one of those things where it's like you have this dynamic that even if there hasn't been a recent offense, the dynamic is I don't like Peter because he's a jerk. And so I'm going to pick on him now. I think in the earlier days of our coverage, I felt like I understood Flash's point of view. Mm-hmm. And now it's turned much like Jameson or anybody else into more of a one note he's just a jerk character so i in my head the canon is that he started out trying to be his friend it never worked out because of partly because of peter and partly because teenagers just don't understand things that are different and now flash has just filed him under i hate him could be could be uh meta question about spider-man number eight another one where i never thought about the quality of the story i've always just loved it could this story have been included because Spider-Man's book took off right away? Right away, he was super popular, and maybe Strange Tales sales were flagging. And this was Stan's attempt at boosting up Strange Tales sales. Plus, Human Torch comes out looking pretty good because they're trying to make him look good. 
Uh, I'm looking to see if Human Torch is... Human Torch is on the cover. That's Spider-Man number eight. Yeah. You've got to think about what's on the cover, not what's in the story. Yeah. So if they want people... Well, okay, no, that's not true. Well, it's kind of true. If you buy the Spider-Man book and the torch is in it, yeah. Depends on your perspective. Mm -hmm. If you buy the Spider-Man book and the torch is in it and the torch looks cool, that will lead you to buy other torch books. I think it would be easier to sell torch books if you put Spider-Man on the cover of a torch book. Right. That's what I was trying to. That's the idea I was trying to get to. Is that yeah. if Spider Man's on the cover of the torch book, that might draw you to a torch book you wouldn't normally buy. Um, all right. Note on Sue at the end. I think you guys misread it. Actually, what? I don't think it's out of character at all. She's not being a ditzy female. She's being typically female and knowing way more about how to handle men than men ever know about themselves. She knows that Spider-Man is a teenage boy and aims perfectly at the spot that will both de-escalate the situation and make him feel good about himself while leaving. I'd argue that she knows he's a teenage boy, but otherwise I could see that point of view. Like she just butters him up and then he stops being a jerk and goes. Yeah, whether he's 16 or 20, that would probably work. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Fantastic Four number 22. Is that scene where Ben Grimm is talking to all the complainers on the phone the first time we saw the thing be that funny? I actually think that scene is genuinely laugh out loud funny. I feel like that scene kind of alters the thing's persona a bit in a direction it was already going for sure. But from then on, he's getting like much more lovable comic relief. Just some thoughts. Great work again. Yeah, Thing is definitely the comic relief character of this book by two years from now. So having that starting to come out right around the era we're talking about makes sense. And that might have been the first time he was that blatantly comedic. He's pretty funny. And I think also that Fantastic Four, one of its biggest strengths is the stuff that doesn't matter as much. Uh -huh. Like sometimes the stories are real stinkers or the villains are stupid, but they're still great like in between scenes that I really enjoy. Which is really weird because you don't get that from Sergeant Fury. No, not that much. They try. They try and be comical with him, but it's kind of the same joke. Yeah. It's like, we're all going to um, die. Ha ha. So I just wonder what it is that's like magical about the Fantastic Four joshing around that's not clicking for Sergeant Fury. Like, is that maybe just too much of the same kind of humor? I think that might be it or just underdeveloped characters. There's only four. Yeah. There's only four Fantastic Four members. So, And there are seven Hellers. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, Bobby Bermea, episode 40? Yep. <clears throat> X-Men 3. I actually think the Blob's debut is much cooler than Magneto's. Magneto, of course, is the greater villain in the long run, and his power is more expansive and versatile. But what really makes the uncanny X-Men 3 pop is the Blob's personality. Most of the big villains, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Kingpin, they have some sense of nobility about them. They're bad guys. I'm sorry, they're bad guys, but they have their own code of honor that they're super strict about kind of thing. Or you have villains who are insane, like the Green Goblin. But the Blob is just an arrogant asshole right away. There's not any dreams. He's already the coolest thing in his world. He's obnoxious and rude and thinks he's pretty special. More than almost any other bad guy we've encountered so far, the Blob feels like a guy you would actually meet on the street or at the supermarket. He's this super-powered guy, but he's too dumb and too small-minded to actually even understand what that means. He gets an inflated sense of what might be possible for him by his encounter with the X-Men, and his naturally shitty tendencies get even worse. I love it. This whole character arc is why I think this issue is actually better than Magneto's first appearance. That's a pretty great take on the Blob. I agree, too. I think so far the Blob has probably been their best villain, because Magneto is comically horrible 
and mm-hmm. and I'm not enjoying. And and the blob kind of started out like the way I think of the blob. They got him right out of the gate. And he's not a guy who takes sides even really. He's just more about being the blob. Yeah, even at the end of the uh, blob joins the brotherhood issue. He didn't join the brotherhood. He's just like, you know what? Yeah. Y'all suck. Yeah. And he walked away. He's supposed to do his thing. <laughs> Stanley was pretty proud of this issue, I think. When he put out Marvel's greatest superhero battles, this was one of the comics he included. Just uh-huh. a point of interest, Excelsior. That's cool. I do have to correct one small point, Bobby Bermea. This is not the Uncanny X-Men 3. This is just the X-Men 3. There will not be an Uncanny X-Men 3 until 2012. Yep. They trick or us. 2011, maybe. Anyways. Um, all right. So what's our next one? I have another tiny Bobby Bermea one. Oh. Never mind. Let's skip that because he's just correcting something. Um, he sent us a link on how Marvel, how fans viewed the Marvel universe from the, at the very beginning. Oh yeah, I have that. But so that was a good read. I don't know. Maybe we can post that in the notes or something if we haven't okay. already twittered it. All right, and then um, Thor's honor. Yep, and that's Jean, February eighth. Gene Hendricks. Gene. Our Asgardian. Uh, he's know. moving to my area. Is he? Yeah. Good. We can live like less than an hour away. We can like do stuff together. You could do a Thor podcast. Ooh. All right. Mike and John in the most – oh, this is February 8th. Mike and John, in the most recent episode released, you covered Journey to Mystery number one or two and wondered why Thor felt so bound by his oath that he had to obey Zarko until he was released. Believe it or not, this is really spot on to what the Norse people believed. You have to remember that – oh, man, here comes Norse words. That Niflheim – Niflheim. Mm-hmm. Hey, he actually – Helps me out there, but I didn't notice that. The realm of the dishonored dead is reserved for murderers and oath breakers. So going back in your word is one of the worst things you can do. That means that once Thor gives his word, he must keep it regardless of the consequences of his actions. So it might seem stupid to those in the present day, but when all a person had to rely on was the word of others, having someone betray that trust could be catastrophic. That gels. Hello? Hello? You can hear me? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... With the um, whole oath thing, I guess it's just such a different cultural thing. Yeah. It's very Klingon. I feel like they weren't doing it because it was Thor. They were doing it because all the heroes do it right now, including, you know, Superman or Flash or anybody. But uh, you could apply it to Thor in a more Asgardian context, and it does work, I guess. Um To your question about who Sif's brother is in the lore, well, she doesn't have one. That is a pure Marvel invention. In the lore, she is Thor's wife, and that's it. In fact, her name just means wife in Old Norse, so she really doesn't have much of a character. Oh, that's funny. Also, to make a long explanation even longer, the Norns are not usually depicted as any specific age, as they are considered to be outside of time. They tend to be depicted as all the same age, whether old or young, but I have seen images when there is one young, one middle-aged, and one old. That isn't the norm, if you'll pardon the pun, though. Gene, and then asterisk murder is defined as killing someone and not telling at least one of the first three people you meet afterwards, and so denying the victim's family the opportunity of getting either revenge or we're guild, essentially payment for what that individual was worth. Wow, okay. there you go. That's a very specific <laughs> definition of murder. Yeah, that's that's very specific. Okay, so ever since this email in February 8th, I'm sure we've talked about the Norns and the Fates multiple times. Now, I don't know about this whole triple depiction thing. And what Gene is basically saying, yeah, that's not Norse. That's just Hollywood. Hollywood or 
Greek. Maybe Greek or maybe just Gaiman being clever. I don't know. Yeah. And um, Gene has the hammer strikes, the hammer strikes.com, the hammer, the hamster strikes at the hamster strikes.blogspot.com, the hammer podcast at two true freaks.com, the quantum cast also at two true freaks, anime freaks also at two true freaks, class 1000 at class 1000pod.podbean.com. And his Patreon page, patreon.com slash thehammerstrikes. So thank you, Gene, for all your support of the show. Really appreciate it. And email and everything. I think he should do more. Do more for the show? No, just do more things. Oh, just do more things. There's only like 12 links here. That's <laughs> slacker. <laughs> he runs the Twitter for the Two True Freaks and listens to every single episode that goes up on that network. Oh, boy. That must take yeah. some time. And listens to us, too. So I feel special. I really, really do. I don't say that lightly. Yeah. It's a lot of podcast. Okay. Bobby Bermea, episode 43, The Enforcers. I am generally not a big fan of comic relief. I hate The Impossible Man, etc. When the thing, for instance, is funny, I think it generally works because it's within his character. The Enforcers are a bit of an anomaly for me because after this initial first appearance, I think they're generally not to be taken too seriously. They're comic relief. If they're the main villain, you know Spidey is going to be Bugs Bunny to their Elmer Fudd. They're going to appear again in a couple of issues, but as the Green Goblin becomes more of a serious villain for Spidey, he definitely leaves the childish things behind, never teaming with the Enforcers again. But we do see them again, and I don't mind. For whatever reason, I find them funny. They've all got pretty distinct personalities, which helps different writers stay true to their characters. They're always hopelessly outclassed against Spidey, of course, but they're just powered enough and dumb enough to where you can believe them thinking they have a chance. They don't appear too often, but when they do, I feel like it's going to be a relaxing, fun time for Spidey. Well, that's a take. I, th- I, I remember not saying I love them, but I guess if you think of them as comic relief, that kind of works. Yeah, I think it works because it's played straight. Like they, as people in the story, feel like they have a pretty good shot against mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't go well for them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the thing works. I don't know. He becomes more and more comic relief to the point where in, in, I remember some comic the last 10 years, other characters were sort of making fun of the thing. Like, is he really that over the top all the time? Yeah. Benjamin blue eyed, you know, Ben Grimm and his aunt Petunia and all those other things. Well, you so. could head, you could headcanon that, that he either has to laugh or he'll be crying. Yeah. That's what he says. Cause he's the thing. So. Cause he's a giant orange monster. I enjoy him being comical though, more than him being grumpy. Like he originally was. Yes, yes. Having more coping with his plight He's is like good. the fun uncle or something. But I'm happy to hear that other people did not like the Impossible Man because I did not like the Impossible Man. I was fine with him. You guys are crazy. Yeah, well, you would. Yes. <laughs> I'm so impossible. Um, another Bobby, episode 42, The Porcupine. Yes. February 9th. It's a short one. I have to say you guys did not spend nearly enough time talking about how the porcupine may have the single dumbest costume in all of Marvel. And that's an accomplishment. (laughs) The fact that he's wearing racks of tubes that can lift up and shoot stuff. He gets an upgrade at some point, but not in our coverage. (laughs) It's going to be a while before that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is pretty whack. Yeah. Stupid looking and uh, stupid uh, functioning too, kind of. Um, And then there's another Bobby episode 44. Mm -hmm. All right. The question of honor is an interesting one in Marvel. Silver Age Marvel would fall apart without it. The bad guys honor even more than the heroes. Doctor Doom, Dormammu, and Galactus are all big-time, super-powerful bad guys who are basically defeated because there's no way they would ever break their word, and the hero counts on that. That, of course, is nothing like bad guys in the real world who might have some sort of honor 
to other bad guys, but little or none to cops, other soldiers, or civilians. And that code, that honor, is based more around fear than anything else. Could be. Yeah, how did normal people treat keeping their word? I think even good people break their word. Yeah, isn't one of those things that, like, you keep it whenever the relationship is valuable to you? Mm -hmm. And keeping those promise would be important to that relationship? But otherwise, it's like, huh, wonder how this is going to work out if I go against it and just kind of like decide it as it comes. Or people just don't go around giving their word. Is that a thing? Yeah. Like, how can you even do that? You don't know what's going to happen. Right. Anyway, it's just a heroic uh, knight in shining armor concept, I guess, that doesn't really happen much anymore. And the question you bring up, why doesn't the good guy do what's practical or beneficial for the greater good over his honor is a great question. Again, how does Marvel even hold together without it being way stronger in the Mar- in the Marvel universe than it is in real life? Can you imagine someone letting Galactus live if they have the opportunity to let him die? Especially if, by that issue, he had, he had threatened to eat Earth several times by that time, each time having to be bound by his honor not to try again. Each time finding a loophole. Or I have a feeling he's just referring to a very explicit Fantastic Four story. Or if Daredevil would just kill Bullseye or let Bullseye get run over by a train, Bullseye wouldn't get the opportunity to later kill so many people, which he does. And I'm not even counting Elektra, who was in his life. But I'm far afield from where you guys are at. Still, that question of honor is going to come up again and again. It really is the hallmark of Marvel's innocence more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, for one thing, if Daredevil kills Bullseye, you can't use Bullseye again. So that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's just the real world rider problem. Same with the Joker or anything. Right. So how do you get around that? You give them upstanding morals that don't allow them to kill people when the rest of us would, maybe. But the whole keeping your word thing, it's like, okay, I don't expect people to lie to me. Like, I expect the things that people say to me to be true. Mm-hmm. And if they say they're going to do something... I, ex- I I I think I accept that as like a sincere intent. Mm-hmm. But if they don't follow through on that, it really just a matter of what the thing was and how big the consequences are. So you come you travel back to nineteen twenty-five and you take over the city and the hero of that city is like, Hey, don't hurt these people. I promise to come back to uh two thousand nineteen with you. Do you believe that he's not gonna try and escape or do anything because he promised? No. No, I don't either. <laughs> no, I don't. Unless there's something I had, hel- I could hold over him. Yes. To like help ensure the promise. Right. Yeah, I don't. Actually, that's another uh, interesting point is like maybe we are privy to Thor's thoughts that he can't break his word, but how come Tomorrow Man didn't assume he would try? Right. Weird. Okay. Good old um, classic uh, uh, white hat and black hat. Interesting ethical dilemmas. Yeah. You got villains? I do, but it seems to be cut off for me. I don't know if it is for you. Oh, it's just lined weird. But you're supposed to read it anyway, so go ahead. Am I up? Yeah. The the constant reoccurrence of villains like Dr. Doom and Mordo and later the Green Goblin seems to me the result of two different forces coming to play. One, Stan trying to give the public what they want. If sales bumped for the Goblin or Doom, and they must have, let's keep bringing them back because we're still getting used to people giving a dang at all. Um, and two, it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, that reoccurring villains were a storytelling trope from other media, like radio shows and serial films and stuff like that. I haven't done any research or anything. It just seems like that might be the case that I don't remember why I think that. Um, 
I'm going to go ahead and finish out of stock because I think it's all one thing. Like when Stan and Jack were growing up, the big storytelling medium was radio. And on radio serials or in film serials like Flash Gordon, where every episode he's going to be fighting Ming the Merciless. But I'm actually taking completely out of my talking completely out of my ass. And like I said, I don't know what, why I think that. Well, it sounds right. <laughs> well, it's also, I think, important to remember that in 1964, comics have been around for three decades. Mm-hmm. So the trope of recurring villains goes back to Batman, you know, at least. Yeah. Bringing back the Joker several times and the Catwoman several times. Dr. Um, Death several times. Yes. All of them. No, no. <laughs> I thought there was death to Dr. Death. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least two times in a row. Yeah. Right. Um, it was not as popular in the 40s by any stretch. Certainly Superman did not have very many recurring antagonists. The vast majority of early Superman series stories were one-off antagonists but um by 30 years later the idea of a recurring villain was definitely a trope people looked forward to the next joker story people looked forward to the next i don't know they look forward to the next lex luthor story as much because he's still not very popular where i'm reading well i gotta imagine uh from a writing point of view it must be nice to also have a character that people like and you can just bring him back without having to come up with something new this month Right. In terms of an origin or a motivation or a weapon or a name or anything. Like, oh, we have the Joker. Let's use him again. You have a tool in your tool belt and you just got to figure out a new way to do it. Yeah. Let's have him run an evil circus this time. That'll be different. Right. Um, of course, that goes back to the whole like killing thing that came up a second ago. I was like, because of that, uh-huh. you then have this trope of the characters never killing off their bad guys, which to be fair, they used to do a lot more. Um there were a yeah. lot of deaths of those one-off gangster villains in early comics. And as far as the Joker, like every story was him falling to his death. So mm-hmm. to where it got ridiculous that that was even in consideration anymore, but that's how they handled that for a while. Red Skull died at the end of every end of every one of his stories. Mm-hmm. So like the whole retcon that like, I don't know, Captain America seven is the first real Red Skull. <laughs> doesn't even really make sense as you're reading it in 1941 because every Red Skull story is in the Red Skull coming back to life. Yes. Yeah, and it, and you know, we know that um, we know that they um they do that in the 60s and stuff too and eventually they get to the point where they don't even explain how people come back to life. Who cares? It's comics. It's comics. All right. You got Tim Price? Episodes 44 and 45? Yeah. Oh. From February 17th? Yeah. Exciting times for both the X-Men and Avengers already. Yeah, I agree. Between these and Fantastic Four number four reintroducing Namor, I wonder whether there's something special about issue number four of more comics. Hmm, sounds like work. Never mind. John is on the case. I, I just added that myself. He's going to look Amazing into this. Spider-Man 4 was a Sandman. He's going to look into this. Uh, How about Superman number four? Batman number four? Justice League number four? Avengers? Oh, we did Avengers 4, obviously. Um... I enjoyed Which your- is the Daredevil for the uh, the Purple Man. That didn't seem super special, but kind nope. of. All right. I enjoyed your conversation about Magneto being revealed as Pietro's and Wanda's father. I first recall seeing Magnus's white hair in X-Men number 150, but I would bet his hair is shown much earlier than that. Not so far. And I know when I think the big reveal happens, but I'm sure John knows too. And if you wanted to talk about that, you would have. So I'll keep my spoilery trap shut. Do you know? That is actually one element. I don't know. Okay. Um, I was surprised that it didn't happen in X-Men. I was reading along in X-Men and then I realized, wait a second, 
it's like mid to late 80s and we never had magneto reveal that he was <clears throat> father to the twins so where does that happen? that happen avengers maybe i think it's an avengers west coast uh, that would make sense from, but i don't know that for certain and yes i don't want to know necessarily um I'm doing a read-through, and I will get there, and I think I kind of want to let that happen as it happens. Okay, he goes on. Oh, Angel. Oh, Angel, he's such an entitled jerk. I don't get why he's treated as so powerful. Wow, that guy has wings and can fly, and that's all. Surely among the sixth most powerful original X-Men. Seriously, I just reread an issue after Jean becomes Phoenix, and Scott is thinking she used to be the least powerful one. Really? Scott, you jerk. Less powerful than Featherboy? Gah. Yeah. He dodges lasers really well. Yeah, and he can drop, um, you know, balloon bombs in the water and stuff. So, and if they get shot out of their plane, he can catch people. Not many, I would imagine. Maybe one. The rest yeah. can die. He's not going to. Uh, he's not going to uh, uh, a barrel of monkeys. I'm like Iron Man could. Anyway, sorry, I didn't realize that was bugging me so much. Let me find something less irritating. Here we go. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Arg. Okay. Okay. I give you guys Sergeant Fury and his howling racist commandos. Oh, racist commandos. Arg. Okay, I can't give you guys props for making it very obvious in the synopsis that Stonewall was racist from the beginning. So we could just roll our eyes at the jerk. Very nice to see Stan and Jack sticking it to real world injustices. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think they called him on his racism in that story. So it wasn't just like awkward racism that was allowed to fester. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if Bobby is. Uh avoiding referring to like maybe some difficulties in how they did it um it's possible that maybe there's some aspects of that that we didn't quite catch on to but yeah for thor i'm having a hard time getting excited about not kang you mean tomorrow man i assume <laughs> <Tomorrow> man. <laughs> then on to marvel comics number one by coincidence i listened to the fw presents episodes covering these stories on the same day pretty crazy pretty pretty crazy i don't think i caught on that they're was an actual pre-Johnny Storm Human Torch until hearing one of those power records which featured FF number one, with Johnny saying, I'm like that old comic book hero, the Human Torch. His original story was sure golden age pulp horror crazy. I did not know that existed. A version of the origin where he refers to the Human Torch? That's pretty great. Yeah, I guess we gotta check out power records. Um, I didn't know Fantastic Four had a power record, so that's cool too. Alright. Man, Namor was a strange protagonist from the beginning. I have no idea... I had no idea his original appearance was so honestly villainous. And I only realized that Namor was Roman spelled backwards when Spider-Man 2099 introduced a descendant of Namor named Roman. Duh on my part. You know what? I don't know that I knew that either or um, ever thought about it. Somebody told me at some point. I did not find that out on my own, but I was I was a ute when I found out. If I was the drinking sort, I would have started a game to take a drink every time John says, I am Captain America. <laughs> but I'd be dead now. Seriously hilarious. But I'm looking forward to your coverage of these Avengers issues. Good stuff already and more on the way. Thanks, guys. Until the Human Torch's creator turns his stepdaughter into another Human Torch and she starts dating the Human Torch. Wait, which one does she date? Make mine, make ours Marvel. <laughs> Yikes. I am Captain America. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go over to the comments. Okay. Al Sedano sent us some comments on February 20th. Okay. A few thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man 4, which was the Sandman issue. Would have made sense for Pete to just tell Liz he had to work that night. Would have been a better excuse than what he ended up giving her. Plus, it would have been true. 
Yeah, he, he, like, he said he had to study. I can't tutor you because I have to study. No, no, I can't go out with you because I have to study. That's what it was. You would think the work excuse would be really good for any Spider-Man moments because he's a freelance photographer, so he makes his own hours. Right. And he has to capture appearances of Spider-Man. And who's to say how he does that? So maybe right now is the time I have to go do that. The reformed version of the same is the one I started with. So in my head, that's the default version. I miss him. Yeah. That's like late 80s into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More of an anti- Wonder what ended up turning him bad again. More of an anti-hero. Right. Reluctant Avenger. Mm-hmm. In my head, the Daily Bugle is a legitimate newspaper. Jonah is a good newsman, and Robbie Robertson also plays a huge part in that. He's no yes man, and he's good at curbing Jonah's anti-spider insanity. Well, as much as humanly possible. I think as long as a reader of the Bugle ignores the Spider-Man stuff, it's a good paper. Yeah, I, don't you, know. I, I imagine Robbie Robertson is the kind of guy who would work for a rag. Yeah. But I, I just feel like in these early days... The Daily Bugle just has like so little, I don't know. Yeah, I say that and yet people are reading it and they're changing their minds because of it. So it must be, it must be influential. It's the, it's the daily planet of the Marvel Universe, essentially. Yeah. Tales of Suspense 45, as you can see back in the 1960s, leaders in the military industrial complex had not yet reached the type of power held by jazz club owners. That's a callback to the previous post. Yeah. The jazz clubs were so popular that the owners had the power to deport people, but evidently the military industrial complex doesn't. It's all about the money. <laughs> okay. Um, it's email reading time. Or uh, I have Professor Allen, episode 46. I have Murray Jackson. Love your show. Okay, do that. When's yours dated? Uh, February 22nd. Oh, this is February 21st. Murray Jackson, I finally got caught up and wanted to say, I love your show. Aw, we love you too, Murray. I heard about it from a comment on Reddit. Really? Whoa. The only suggestion I have would be to spend a little more time discussing the story elements you've read that have been retconned away in modern comics. Although I understand that y'all don't have absolute knowledge of all modern Marvel continuity. Um, an example of what I mean, I believe you stated twice that according to these comics, the Fantastic Four does not get paid, but there is a modern storyline where Ben learns he's been getting his paycheck direct deposited and never knew it. Turns out he's a billionaire and it spawned some cool stories, including Ben's line, it's like having another superpower. Until Reed Richards is in prison and in prison 42 without due process, make mine make ours marvel. Well, I probably just I didn't know even, that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I think we've invited readers to help with that sort of thing. Yeah. Readers, listeners. Yeah. So feel free um, to do that. Yeah, if, if you are listening and we don't mention some cool bit of connective continuity, definitely feel free to contribute to the conversation. We will get to the emails and talk about them eventually because um, there's a lot of comics we just haven't read. Especially if we are asking ourselves how it works and there's an answer and we don't, yeah. we don't come up with it. <laughs> if we spend five minutes Googling <laughs> Wikipedia on the podcast, <laughs> um, I think we managed to... Trim most of that out when it happens. So then we got uh, Professor Allen, uh, February 22nd. In Tales, of, uh, in Tales to Astonish 54, reference was made to the Organization of American States. And it seems like you weren't sure that was a real organization, which it is. You can think of it as a mini UN whose members are most of the countries in the Western Hemisphere. It was founded in 1948 for the purposes of promoting peace and security among its Member Nations. More information can be found on its organization's website. Enjoying the show and keep up the good work. So, yeah, we, we kind of mocked a little bit because 
it sounded like they were saying, come back to the United States, and they were saying, come back to the Organization of American States or something like that. And that just seemed like such a ridiculous alternative name for the country. Mm-hmm. But evidently it's not. It is an organization so, of which we were a part. And apparently it still exists. Apparently. So, cool. Uh, thank you, Professor Allen. So glad you're listening to the show. Yeah. And let's see. All right, so then we have March 2nd. Ernest Jackson, episodes 46 and 47. Just some thoughts about the last two episodes. Like Mike, I never knew Betty Brant as anything more than just a friend. I'm enjoying learning more about her. There's a modern story I recently read that shows Peter is her best friend. I don't know if we're thinking about the same modern story, but I've also read modern stories where that's like explicitly laid out. They're best friends. Y'all had a discussion about picking people picking up Thor's hammer and not getting his power while others do. Pretty sure Wonder Woman picked it up and did get his powers. Ooh. That makes sense to me. She seems like a worthy kind of person. Yes, she definitely should. Do y'all know or think that the backup stories from The Watcher are canon? Since he's telling stories based on his knowledge rather than telling made-up stories like Wasp? I mean, I assume they are. I also think that they don't matter at all, so they don't affect anything if they are. Yeah, I mean, so who's The Watcher talking to? Well, there's that, but also, like, they're just, like, random aliens trying to do things and getting stuck in, like, bad Black Mirror episodes. Right. So, Who's yeah. to say they're even true? Or, and who's, yeah, it doesn't, it's fine. Let's just say they're true, because it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, you're right, it really doesn't. I read a 90s Thor run where Enchantress did have a relationship with Thor. They were both happy, and she did not use magic to get him. They may have retconned this later, but I think it just went away, like, here after Heroes Reborn. Just like teenage Tony Stark kind of just went away. <laughs> I think that, I don't know if it's true, but I think it was like during Mike Diodato Jr. was drawing it and Thor was like walking around a lot with just like long blonde hair and topless. I could be wrong, but I think, okay. that, I think that's when he was dating Enchantress. Something like that. Sounds good. I have not read any of that era. Yeah. Well, that's because Walter Simonson had stopped writing it by then. Yeah. And I did not read past Walter Simonson. <laughs> so... Hold on one second. My kids are telling me I'm old because I'm 40. Love you, kids. So um, as we're recording this mailbag, I am 40 years old today. And um, my children and my wife have all been like, you're so old. You're so old all day long. But it's okay. They love me. It's the top of the hill. Yes. I still have half my life ahead of me. All the the comics and movies and TV shows that I've watched and read. I can do all that many again. Yeah. You might be able to just read them all. Right? Okay. Uh, Yancey Street Lives? Yancey Street Lives. Okay. Tim Pry- or Did I read the last one? Or? I think I just read the one about... Um, oh, yes. So my, it's, it's my episode. turn. So March 3rd, Yancey Street Lives, exclamation point, Tim Price. Hey, guys. Too many good episodes lately. I can't quite fit in feedback for each one. So enjoying even more rambly email than usual. From Mailbag and the Yancey Street Gang, I remember the story in FF Volume 3, Number 61, by Mark Wade and Mike Wairingo, where Ben received yet another prank package signed by the gang. And it was actually from Johnny. But it didn't make sense for the Yanceys not to exist because Ben was a member in his youth. Or is that Ute? So in my head canon, no price fashion, the gang exists and torments Ben in person when they can, but also Johnny sent the pack, the prank pack, which is signed by the Yanceys. They may be a cop out, but I'll take what I loved. I'll take it because I love the Wade Wairingo run so much. 
I think someone disproved our disproved the whole Johnny's the only one doing it thing anyway already. Yeah, and I'm totally willing to buy that Johnny has done it sometimes, but not every time. Yeah, one doesn't exclude the other necessarily. Um, right. Good to hear Untold Tales of Spider-Man counts. Now I have an excuse to reread that series too. Loved it. Confession time. I have not been reading along with your show, but it's time to start reading some of the series. They're just too amazing. Can you guess what comic that refers to? You guessed it. Strange Tales. Stop making jokes in the email, Tim. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 11. uh, Number 11. The panel with Betty and Bennett. You know, John, you got a point. Oh, my. I'm just saying incest is best. Put your sister to the test. Journey into into suspense. I was really surprised to see Natasha Enchantress try to seduce Tony Dawn in her first appearance, but the Executioner-Boris battle at the end sounded excellent. Oh, shoot. I forgot to get feedback on Tales of Mystery. Hold on. Let me think. Wait a minute. Is he trying to say that those two stories are a lot alike? I think maybe. Yeah. And he, he has a point. Yes. I'm sorry. That was an even more confusing bit. Even for me, but I couldn't resist with both Iron Man and Thor having practically the same villains and story in that episode. It tickled me so much. I'm sure for Stan, it falls into who's going to care about these comics since they're cheap, disposable, and for kids category. Except we've kind of established he's on a roll and doesn't feel that way anymore. But yeah, he's still throwing them out there. Just finished reading FF number 25. Very fun mega fight. I agree that Sue and Ben looked a little off. But what's weirder to me is the Hulk. He has chest hair in this issue. Has he been consistent? El- has that been consistent elsewhere? That looks so wrong. I feel like it's okay. it's a rare thing. Yeah. Does Hulk have chest hair? No, not normally. But yeah. but he has had it. Right. My my logic anytime the Hulk looks different or weird is that the Hulk is a transformation. Yes. And the transformation doesn't necessarily have to be the exactly the same every time. Hmm. There could be variations on how his genes go wacky when he chose the Hulk. He could get so anxious that he grows three toes instead of five. Exactly. Black Widow's age. I really don't remember if that's been addressed or not. And I read a lot of Black Widow comics last year on Marvel Unlimited. It was a fun binge. Obviously not enough stuck. Yet, it was revealed in the 2004 miniseries that the Red Room enhanced Natasha, giving her a longer lifespan, but it fit with earlier stories that placed her youth in the 40s. So it was a retcon as well. Comics. Just to make it about me, I was recently on uh, the Wolverine uh, uh, Schnicked podcast, and we talked about an issue that had uh, references to Black Widow being that old, and we talked about it there too. So if you want to check it out, episode 333. That's the one I was thinking of as as you were reading that. I was thinking of that issue. Mm -hmm. How old is she roughly in the 40s in that one? In the 40s, she was just a kid. So, but that means like in the present day, she would have been like in her 50s or something. And she looks like she's 20. Right. Um, anyway, great show as always. Until Thor and the Enchantress share an apartment in Manhattan, make mine, make ours Marvel. Good, good, good. Okay. So that brings up to um, John Morrissey. I have been remiss in my duties. Huh. He said remiss. Okay. Oh, actually, before we do that. I have another comment from Al Sedano. Okay. It's kind of shortish, so I'll do that, and then I'll do the John Morse email. Okay. <clears throat> Episode 28, the best of times, the worst of times. Just have one thing to say about the FF annual. One of you commented about the Russian leaders not believing about Atlantis attacking, and would they really behave that way even though they were being attacked? 
Based on how I do see political leaders ignoring things that are true just because it does not fit their political narrative, I say yes. Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, valid point. Okay, Dear Marvelous Humans, this is from John Morrissey. I'm so sorry I haven't written sooner. Is there a word in our language that is appropriate when one is too overwhelmed by the vicissitudes of life to comment on one's favorite podcast? I doubt it. You guys clearly deserve my at least weekly praise, and I have been dropping the ball of late. Do not feel bad, John, unless it makes you feel good to feel bad, in which case, go for it. What can I say about recent episodes? You're both so very funny. You're both so refreshingly humble. You're both shortchanging yourselves because you do this for free. Case in point, the recent Mailbag 4 episode. What was the best question of the episode? Was it one asked by a devoted listener? Nope. It was one asked by our very own Michael Kaiser. He asked, has anyone ever lifted Don Blake's cane? That caused my head to explode. Mr. Kaiser, you'll be hearing from my lawyer about this event, or at the very least from my interior decorator, because the walls are now a mess. (laughs) Well, funny, we just read that right now. (laughs) Simply stated, I could not love this show more or appreciate. I'm sorry, I talked over you. Go ahead. Um, funny he, funny that he asked that or he uh, uh, brings up that I asked that now because now we have an answer. Because yes. we just covered Magneto lifting his cane. Uh, like, like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. So I guess you can. Yep. Simply say that I could not love this show more or appreciate your efforts more. Please continue to be so generous with your time and your talents. Until Iron Man needs WD-40 to don his suit, make ours marvel. Um Thank you for the very, very, very kind words, John. Yes. Really appreciate it. Yes, it feeds our soul. It does. And my soul is hungry. Ravenous. It's hungry for hands. Constantly. There's a rumbling in my soul's tumbly that only hands can satisfy. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what's, uh, so another John Morrissey, episode 46.5? Yes. Good evening, gentlemen, from March 4th. You know, listening to this mailbag episode has reminded me of the fact that we're hearing your comments during episodes that you recorded about 10 weeks earlier. Thus, it's really silly for me to send an email that reads, yeah, the color of bricks. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, That is kind of a challenge. I think we, for the most part, figure it out eventually. But sometimes I do wonder what the heck you guys are talking about. Sorry. He makes a good point. Yeah. Therefore, I encourage our listeners to place all questions in context because of the temporary discontinuity that exists between our listen and the actual recording. Anyway, thank thanks for the mailbag and the fun discussions. A good time was had by all. Yeah. A little sentence or two about what you're talking about around what you're talking about is always good. Yeah. It helps. It helps Okay. Um, episode 47 was terrific. Yep. From John Morrissey again. Look at you, John. There you go. Dear Disseminating Duo. Is that artificial dissemination? Um, I don't know, but I like it. Okay. Episode 47 was another masterpiece. The title alone, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, had me giggling for days. Only you, John, would think of something so wacky and yet so obvious. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The titles do not always come easily. I don't think they always work, but I like them when I, when I can land one. Um, my plan was to transcribe every exchange during the episode that had me laughing with delight, but there were too many of them. So all I can say is thanks to both of you for being so funny. I'll end with a question about Journey into Mystery 103, although it pertains to many or even all issues of Journey into Mystery to date. Why do you think that the Rainbow Bridge is never colored like an actual rainbow? What is it colored like? Every grade school child knows about Roy G. Biv and the colors of the rainbow from the 400 nanometer wavelengths of violet to the 700 nanometer wavelengths of the color red. So why do these professional color artists refuse to color the rainbow bridge like an actual rainbow? 
In other words, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. So again, what is it colored? I guess he's going to tell us right now. I guess they're just random colors is what I'm guessing. Why does the rainbow bridge on the cover of JIM 103 include three shades of green, two shades of blue, and two shades of purple that clearly have no relationship to each other? And why do your listeners ask such ridiculous questions? (laughs) And why did we not notice that? I have never even thought about that. That is very weird. I'm just looking at it right now. I'm trying to find an in-comic picture, too. Yeah, they do it there, too. It's just like red, blue, yellow, red, more blue. You know, in the movie, the colors are fluctuating. Uh-huh. Maybe they're fluctuating in the comics, too. We could headcanon it that way. Or maybe it's it, yeah. maybe because it's not a natural rainbow. It's whatever color they want it to be. That's true. Now, the rainbow is a specific diffraction of light across the spectrum. Whereas the rainbow bridge is some sort of, you know, object that is colorful. Um, maybe it's got buttons so, that you can just press to change the color when you get bored. There, there are definitely possibilities here. Until Pace Pot, Pete, Sandman, and Hydra Man open a golf course, make ours Marvel. See, some of these I really wish would happen, like that one. Right? It's like, why is this not a thing? All right. I got Emmett. Yes. March 5th. Emmett. Emmett. There that. Episode 47 and Thor Nonsense. Hi, guys. I know I'm not your designated Asgardian expert, but I've been reading through all of Thor, currently on 1987, and I have some answers to share with you regarding your questions in episode 47, a.k.a. the one with Enchantress. Yes, all of the Asgardians are gods or goddesses, but not all of them have a particular topic they're the god or goddess of. The non-myths characters like Enchantress and the Warriors 3 are generally not given any title like that and the terms are used more like we would use human or person. It's pretty inconsistent whether or not they're actually divine. The Asgardians themselves do have higher powers they consider godlike, specifically the Norns and cosmic characters like those who sit above in shadow. Um, as for the topic of Enchantress being the reincarnation of a previous cycles, Freya, Iden, there's Iden, Iden, there's a lot of Thor nonsense that needs to be unpacked here. In short, Thor continues continuity is even worse than normal comics continuity as guardians exist in cycles which allows multiple writers to use ragnarok without actually ending the universe this also lets them be really vague about continuity the goddess freya Iden, and frigga are great examples of this in some storylines freya is an alternate name for odin's wife frigga and Iden is a separate goddess in others freya is a separate goddess from frigga and Iden is an alternate name of freya there will be a test after this. In some others, there are three separate goddesses entirely. So it would totally fit in Marvel continuity for Enchantress to be both Freya and Aiden in some previous cycles. Also, Loki is more of a catch than he seems. He's a shapeshifter. shapeshifter. What you see isn't all you get. Emmett. So I'm intrigued by this because I've always thought that Freya and Frigga were interchangeable names. Mm-hmm. It didn't even I didn't even have any idea that Eden or Iden or Eden or have you say it was the same person. I thought that that was a separate character who held, kept track of the golden apples. Hmm. Um, so now I'm and I'm going to have to keep track of when they're separate. Well, the Asgardians are really aliens, and they morph into whatever us humans want them to be. So right. That's an Earth. We all create God in our own image. That's an Earth X con 
or concept. So if you guys read that, you could just argue that she just changes or she's three sometimes or one sometimes, depending on what we want. So Roy Thomas's run on Thor is the first time that the idea of cyclic or cyclic history Mm -hmm. is actually brought into Thor's continuity because um, he basically tells the story of how the Thor and everyone of the Asgardian myths died and were reborn as the Thor and everyone of the comics continuity. And so you have two different separate cycles there. And the division was right around the time of Christ being born. Oh, interesting. Which seems a bit early for all that. But anyways, yeah. So our Thor is not the Thor of myth. Or at least is a reincarnation of that idea. But yes, it's not exactly the same person. Huh. Interesting. Um, March 5th, praise for Gene Hendricks. Yes. I don't know if we're allowed to read praise for people who are not actually on the show. Yeah, that doesn't really feed us at all, does it? But we could try it. <laughs> but just kidding. Since we love Gene, yes. we'll read his praise. Mm-hmm. Dear Marvel men, who knew? Who knew that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were creating, dare I say it, fiction all those years ago? Who believed their fiction? Well, I did, for one. That is, until you solicited the knowledge and opinions of Gene Hendricks, and now I know that Ask and Embla are not part of the Norse religion. <coughs> bottom, li- <laughs> bottom line, I have called your podcast entertaining because you each make me laugh several times per episode. I have called your podcast interesting because you each provide a perspective of the Marvel Universe that I had not considered in the past. And I have called your podcast educational because of the tidbits of trivia that you share about the Marvel Universe. But now I have to call your podcast meta-educational because I have learned something about the Norse religion that has nothing to do with the Marvel Universe. Thank you, Gene Hendricks. Thank you, Michael and John. And until all 7 billion of us decide on one religion or no religion. Or no religion, too. Yeah. Uh, Make ours Marvel. Yeah. We learned that Norse religion has nothing to do with Marvel Universe, really. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. <laughs> in a lot of ways. A lot more than I was expecting, to be honest. Me too. Like, there's a lot more to... Like, I feel like they're inspired by the ideas of the Norse myth, but they're not basing anything on the Norse myth. Yeah, like, Loki and Thor not being brothers is a real shocker to me. That, that yeah. Because that's like... That threw me. That's, my, that's their relationship. How could that not have been the thing? Anyway. Uh, I have Tim Price. The Price is Right. Yes. That seems awfully arrogant, but we'll see what he says. Uh, March 12th, double dose of Daredevil this time with you guys covering issue number one and the movie. Those were fun to hear, and kudos on your great guests. That was the Thank you. one time we did two guests, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Blaine and Dave. Yeah, yeah. By the logic of Matt's childhood nickname becoming his superhero name, that would make me The Price is Right. Aha, I see what he's doing there. Hmm, I can work with that. I'll carry a small iPod that plays the theme song, spin a big wheel into supervillains, onto supervillains, and pelt the henchmen with rice aroni as a consolation prize. Or not. I'd rather not get sued by the TV show. And now the uh, Price is Right theme song is playing in my head. Of course. Very heroic. Boy, Matt was definitely a lawyer at heart his whole life. Matt Murdock's promised not to be a fighter, so I'll fight under another name. Class A1 rationalization going on. 
Yeah, kind of worrisome realization going on there. <laughs> what a lawyer. I agree the movie was not as bad as its rep. I saw it in the theater originally and had a great time. It was a reasonable waypoint between Marvel's stew of direct-to-video movies and the first Iron Man. Not quite what they could be, but tons better than the previous efforts. Affleck and Garner did quite well with the roles, and I did stay for the post-credits stinger in the theater and loved it. I didn't remember that it was the first one for Marvel, so that's awesome. Uh, it's a good movie. It was pretty good, yeah. Giant Man versus Human Top. I got nothing. I'll also hold out hope for Jan Wass to be awesome again someday. Amazing Spider-Man number 12. Sadly, I haven't read most of Spidey's early issues. And with that iconic cover, I've wanted to know the story for a long time. So it's about time I just did it. That was really great. And the first instance of Spidey fighting crime while sick. I don't think they've ever addressed why Peter catches these bugs while also being able to heal from physical injuries faster than normal. In my headcanon, his radioactive blood is super nutritious to diseases, making them thrive like crazy in his body. And if he wasn't superpowered, the viruses might overwhelm him. Instead, it turns into a wash where the end result is similar to a normal person's symptoms. But in the end, Peter still bounces back faster. And this was a super important point to share with you. This was a super important point to share with you guys. Sigh. Sorry. Okay. 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 I have an explanation. Okay. Peter Parker catches all these bugs because spiders catch bugs. Oh, he's a spider. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, <laughs> now, didn't Flash dress up as Spider-Man a few issues ago? And Torch in his book and Chameleon. No wonder it was so easy for everyone to believe Peter was dressing up. But also, this bit is starting to wear thin. Is it almost done for a while? Until Doc Ock gets adamantium arms, make mine, make ours Marvel. I don't know Um, if it's almost done. I feel like it is. I I know of one other really big bit where he claims to have dressed up as Spider-Man, but it's not for a really long time. So yeah, it might be done for a while. Maybe. The downside of a oh. costume identity is anybody can be you. Yeah, actually, this was issue 12, and issue 13 was Mysterio, so nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got a couple of comments from Al Sedano over on the comment board. Uh, um, okay. These are dated March 16th. I'll just read them both back to back. They're not too long. Um, episode 29, The Wicked Witch of Magnetism. Ray, X-Men number one, and your questions about when Jean Grey's background was shown. I'm trying to remember exact issues and failing right now, but I know it was. When Inferno came out, they got into her history, but I already knew plenty about it. I'm pretty sure the story about how her telepathy first manifested, I won't spoil it in case Mike doesn't know it, had already been told by then. Maybe Sarah can remember more specifically. You should ask her when you do your next X-Men movie episode. What do you mean when, if, if Mike doesn't know it? How do we know John knows it? What's this about? Well, I do know well, it. Well, what is this about, though? Why is that an assumption? <laughs> I just want to spoil it for you. Yeah, but okay, never mind. <laughs> Have you read? It's true. Whatever I don't first? know it, but you know, how does he know that? So I feel like her first getting her powers and and that story that comes about it doesn't have anything to do with her becoming a protege of Charles Xavier. Okay, and that's the part that I'm super fuzzy on. Like, when and how did Charles come to her house and take her under his wing? Because I either, like, breeze read some stuff and completely missed it, or it hasn't happened yet. It's probably some sort of miniseries or something. Maybe. When did Charles see her and hear Dreamweaver? <laughs> yeah. I'd probably just try to go to, like, one of those places where it, like, puts everybody's issues in chronological order and find Gene's issues and read that. Mm, that's an idea. I haven't done it yet. Yeah. 
Uh, Al Sedano also posts on episode 36, Sand Gets Everywhere, which was supposed to be an Anakin Skywalker reference. Um, Strange Shells 115, just a thought about how different Johnny seems to be treated here, like he's just a kid, as opposed to in the main FF series, like a full member. Since he is the solo star of Strange Tales, what if they are all from his point of view? So his angsty teenage point of view. He isn't really being treated that bad by the other members of the FF, but the 16-year-old thinks he is. Mm. When when Reed suggests he find Spider-Man to help against the Sandman, Reed isn't being disrespectful. To him, both Johnny and Spidey are youngsters, and it would make sense for them to spend time together. Simple enough, Johnny just hears that as, you suck. Yeah. I kind of like that idea. I still don't, don't want to um, just assume that everybody knows that Spider-Man's a kid, though. That's kind of not his thing. Yeah. He is Spider-Man. Spider-Man, and he like disguises his voice and everything. So I don't think people realize. It's not like Tom Holland, who sounds like he's 16 when he's Spider-Man. Right. When I was a kid in the 60s, it was, hey, Jay, Jonah Jameson, I'm Peter Parker, and I'm going to go take some pictures. And now it's time to turn to Spider-Man. That's what happened. You were not a kid in the 60s. No, I wasn't. But I used to watch 60s cartoons when I wasn't in the 60s. I have seen that entire series. So yes, you're right. He does definitely deepen his voice as Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, okay, what's next? We got Jim Morrissey, You Make My Week. Uh, yes. Okay, March 17th. I say we get through March and then we uh, wrap this one up. What do you think? Sounds good. Okay, good stopping point. March 17th. Usually I wait to write until I have something useful to add or a question that I think is a general of general interest, but that doesn't always occur during each episode, and the result is I begin to skip episodes without contacting you. That has to stop. You need to know how much we listeners appreciate you both every week. And so, nothing useful, and no questions here, just four words of thanks. You make my week. Well, we appreciate that. And, That's and, very, very and I'm nice. glad I didn't have to answer questions that I don't have answers to. And this was the day after my son turned 10. Oh, excellent. Uh, Tim Price wrote in about episode 49. Go ahead. Whoa, just one away from the big 5-0. Pretty excellent, guys. Is it me, or is the strangest thing that Strange Tales is still putting out Human Torch stories? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and you could say that about Giant Man, or... It is astonishing that Tales to Astonish is still doing Giant <laughs> right? Man stories. Right? Same thing. I agree all the way. Black Widow is Catwoman to Iron Man. She even has the same femme fatale evening gowns for her early appearances, and a costume comes later. Nice. Yeah. I don't remember us making that point. You probably did. Maybe I did. That sounds pretty awesome if I did it. We're, we're, we're smart. Yeah. I mean, it works. Gosh, how did the Avengers reach issue 26 so fast? Just seems like you reviewed number five. So how? Oh, it's FF26. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, the cover <laughs> The cover is pretty spot on that the Avengers took over the issue. I managed to read this one just now. My big takes, one, Wasp was amazing, finally. And two, Giant Man still managed to be a jerk. There's Janet bringing the ants to help out, and Hank's all, I'll take over, Janet. Can't have you messing it up. Oh my god, he's not good enough for you, Janet. Fly away now. Yeah, that was very much an Avengers issue, felt yeah, like. It was. Another month done until the Hulk fights two teams of Avengers. Make mine, make ours Marvel. Cool. And I think that's it. I think that's it. That was the last. I have April now. So yeah. good stopping point. Um, I think we're going to promise or offer an empty promise again and say we're going to try and do these more often. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. we got to get those comics yeah, out. Yeah, that's the goal anyway. Um, and I'm in the summer, so getting onto a recording is a bit easier, mm -hmm. um, which – yeah, 
All right, so I've, I've marked unread the one that I opened. So, hey, we just got an email while we were recording. That's fantastic. I'll have to come back to that. Yeah, about Jay and Miles. Yes. All right, so... Um, I guess we should wrap this up. All right. So if you would like to write us email and have your email read on the future episodes, you should write to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Or if you don't want to remember that, just go to makearsmarvel.com and there's a contact form there. You can just fill that out. Same thing happens. Yeah. Uh, Contact form on the website. Or you can go to the website and leave a comment on the episode that you just listened to. And we'll get to that as well. Yep. That also works. So um, you can also write us an e- uh, write us a letter at our respective mailboxes, but yeah, if you know what those are, yeah, if you know what those are, that's fine. Post-it notes if you live with us, right? Yeah, if you're my child and you want to talk to me, really, it's just easiest if you text me or, or walk out to my <laughs> and you'll respond to them on the next mailbag episode. <laughs> it might be a month or two. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, can I go play outside? Give it a month. Yeah, Dad, I need to go out to dinner with my boyfriend. Can I please have $10? I'll let you know in December. Right. All right. So um, there's another episode on the feed. If you haven't listened to it yet, you should go do that. Because we always put out a regular episode when we put out a mailbag. Because it's double the goodness, double the fun, double the marvelous. Should be episode 63. Oh, okay. Well, good. I don't know what that's about. nine times seven. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for writing in. Next time. Bye.